Go ahead and grab your Bible and your notepad if you want to, if you take notes, or you can tap on today's message uh, in the Victory Church app. Uh, If you're new to Victory, we'd love to take notes because it's our prayer that God would speak to you during these times, that God would begin to speak to you through his word and through the the message that we have today, and then you jot those things down. That's important to do, by the way, not only in service, uh, but in your own devotions. When God begins to speak to you or something jumps out of his word right at you, write those things down. Because too often we get further into our spiritual journey and you don't remember the words that God is spoken and you hit against a battle or you go against a storm and you need to remember those things. So it's important to take notes. Uh, so grab those out because in two less than two weeks now, and I told you about this, we have this strategic and important event in our church's life. This is something we do each year in September and it's called our Serve Day. And it's where we get to get out and make a tangible difference in our community. We get to get out and actually be the hands and feet of Christ in our community, in our city, across our parish. And so it's an important time for our church. And I'm excited about it because I I believe it's part of my job is to put a pause on some of the messages and series about how we can become all that God has called us to be. And how we can we can become better Christians and how we can become better word word readers and how we can become put a pause and say, okay, how can we now use what we've learned to reach out to the community around us? How can we begin to reach out to the hurting and be that? that Who are we as a spiritual community? Who are we as a church? And there's a verse in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. I want to start here because Jesus said to his followers right before he goes back to heaven. He says, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. The reason why we exist as a church is not so we can have great gatherings together. The reason we exist as a church is not just so we can enjoy each other's fellowship. Just so we can enjoy joining together and having a party and doing all the things. The reason we exist is to fulfill the Great Commission. To go everywhere and tell everyone about the good news. And so today I want to spend just a couple of minutes in a story in John chapter 4 that illustrates this call that Jesus has given us. Just to read through this story together. It's a story about how Jesus makes an eternal impact in a woman's life during a moment that's not all that planned. It's not like he had all these things planned and he had all these things set in motion and he had all the ministries and all the different programs and he had a schedule for the day. And this is this is what needed. This is the thing that needed to happen. And so Jesus went in there with all the plan. This is just a moment in his life that we notice how Jesus is always reaching out. And it's something we can learn from in John chapter four. If we're going to pick the story up in verse four. And I want us to notice how this is not just something for the month of September or something just for serve day, but something we do in every moment of our life. So chapter four, verse four. And he says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So well, right where they draw water from. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So the disciples had run on to Chick-fil-A, right? So they're going to get the food for the day. They're in the line over there. And the wells, the wells where they would draw water were the community gathering places for the community. This is, this is in this day and age. This is where they would all gather around where everything would happen. So disciples are gone, right? And so Jesus is sitting in the Starbucks of this new city that he doesn't know anybody in. And he doesn't know the layout of the city, doesn't know much about it. But he's sitting at the gathering place and he's just waiting. And the Samaritan woman comes and Jesus is just hanging out at the well. And the disciples are in the mile long line that is Chick-fil-A at noon. Come on, somebody right They're Just they're taking a while to get back. They're taking a while to get back. Samaritan woman approaches him. And so he says to him, he says to her, can you give me something to drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Right. We remember this, this concept from the story of the Good Samaritan, the unlikely hero of that story, that the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't associate, they don't mix, they don't even talk together. And I'll kind of give you a little context for the story, because the kingdom of Israel had divided into two kingdoms after King Solomon. And so they divided into two kingdoms and they didn't really associate. There was this rift between the two kingdoms. And so this country of Samaria, the people here had started marrying other peoples that were non-Jews around the area and they started worshiping other gods. And so they still worshiped Yahweh, but they worshiped all the other gods as well. And so the Jews did not believe them to be pure-blooded Jews. They didn't believe them to have any part in their religion. And so they didn't allow them to worship in the temple. In fact, the Samaritans had built their own temple for worshiping. They had their own mountaintop that they said, this is where God's presence is, instead of the Jerusalem temple that God had built. And so there's this rift between them, between the two cultures. And then fascinatingly enough, it says she's a Samaritan woman. Because if you read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there was a lot of value given to women. And there was a lot of value throughout the book of songs and throughout the Old Testament. But then something seems to happen between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And that is like all women's rights seem to get abolished. And so in the culture that Jesus is in, they put no value on women. They start to they start to marginalize and oppress them. And so they don't have public places that they can go to. Their word isn't used in court. It's not allowed to be used as a testimony. And so they get marginalized by culture. When they go out, men don't speak to them. Spiritual leaders don't address them. And even when they go out, they're heavily covered in veils. There's this oppression on there. And I love this about Jesus because he always he always crossed every racial and social and economic barrier because he saw a person all created equal, all before God's eyes, all valuable. And so Jesus sees a person as a spiritual leader, as a teacher, and he just begins to have a conversation with her. And she is surprised by this. Number one, that he would even talk with her. But number two, that he's asking for a drink of water from her. And so Jesus shatters all these things. So he sits down at the Starbucks, right? Just just work with me here. He sits down, right? And he sees a person and he decides, I'm going to make a difference. He decides in this, this mundane, average moment of my life, I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to make an eternal impact in her life. I'm going to use this life. And God sends people to us all throughout our day, all throughout our life. God surrounds us with people like this Samaritan woman. Where if we would just begin to look, we would see those people. We would see the need. We would see this opportunity that God has given. Because Jesus, this is just a mundane moment. This isn't planned. He's not setting up shop and having this big revival or having whatever it is. He's just sitting at the well waiting for the food to come. And God has sent this person, this, this Samaritan woman. It's been orchestrated. Now she's around him. And Jesus is going to make a difference in her life. And I get convicted when I read this story because I'm like a lot of you, right? I have a lot of things that I need to accomplish in a day. I have a list of things that when I wake up, I know I'm not going to do half of them by the time the day has ended. And so I'm rushing around trying to accomplish all the things that I think I need to accomplish. And I forget to look around me. I forget to look at the people that I'm actually interacting with, the people that are also living their lives around us. We forget to see them, to pause for a moment. So Jesus off the cuff, he just starts having this conversation with the Samaritan woman. He just starts having a conversation with her. And so she's shocked by this. But what it's demonstrating to us, and jot this down if you're taking notes, first point today, is we're going to have to learn how to value people. If we're going to learn from this story, if we're going to learn from Jesus about how to, how to impact, how to have an impact on our world, we're going to have to learn how to value people. We have to open our eyes to understand that every person matters to God. That every person matters to God. Every person we come in contact with. And that's the thing that Jesus models for us. It didn't matter if that person was acceptable in their culture. It didn't matter if that person was marginalized by their religion or by the leaders. It didn't matter about any of that. Jesus saw a person that he could impact for eternity. So we have to begin to use that. So he places value on her by starting this conversation. Because it's so easy sometimes for us to write off people. 
We just write them off as, well, they're just too damaged and they're just too whatever stuck in their own ways. They're just too that or whatever. And I've got places to be. I've got food to eat. I've got, I, I need to go and do something else. And we write off people. And we think, well, if they could just get over that addiction, come on, it's time already. If they could just get a job or if they could just get out of that relationship. I mean, come on, they put themselves in that place. It's their fault. And we begin to think these thoughts about the people around us and we justify passing them by. We begin to justify that it's their own fault. Jesus never did that to people. He never did. He looked at people and cared about the condition of their soul. Matthew chapter 9, I want to show you this verse. It says, it's just talking about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So it started with seeing and then making a difference with compassion. It started with seeing. And that word saw there, when it talks about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, it's not talking about like eye contact. It's not like Jesus just looked over and he saw them. No, it says that he saw. It means that he saw, he comprehended, and he cared. Like This is a deep Greek word here that they're using, that Jesus saw their condition. He looked on the inside because they were harassed. He saw them helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's not how we normally look at people. I don't know if we can be honest together this morning. That's not how we normally look. I can tell you even in my own family, right? Like when I'm lit, like the other day, my wife Alyssa was telling me something and I was just like, I know I'm looking at you, but I'm not hearing anything that you're saying to me. I know you have my eyes. I know I'm looking at you, but I'm just, it's not, you're going to yell at me about this conversation later, right? I just, you're going to, I'm going to get in trouble because I, I, I know, but I, I'm doing four different things, but nothing you're saying is processing in my mind. Anybody have the courage to tell your wife that? Anybody like a bunch of chickens? All right, you bunch of that happens to all of us. Come on, somebody like you're just you're just like you're going to yell about me about it. Right. And they're, they're telling you a month later, we stood in the kitchen. You said yes. And you're just like, I, I got nothing. I, got, I just don't come on. Somebody that'll free somebody. Right. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what he did. He saw. He comprehended, he cared, he saw the condition, he comprehended the needs. And I'm telling you, I'm guilty of this, like all of us, that I rush through the things that I need to accomplish. And I don't notice the pain, I don't notice the condition, I don't notice the hurt. God is calling us to value people. Because the truth is, if we really love God, we're going to love people. Because you can't love somebody without loving the things that they love. You can't love somebody without loving. So if we love God, then we love the people that he loved. I've learned that being married to Alyssa. I'm just using all the stories. She's out of town today, so I get to use every story I want. I've learned that, though, being married, because there's some stuff that I love now that I didn't even know about before I got married. Did you know that the city will give you an extra trash can if you recycle? Did you know that? That changed my entire life. You have two trash cans now. Two trash cans is better than one trash can. I don't know if I'm freeing somebody. Like, if I'm explaining that, two is better than one. Now, you can't put anything you want in there. I'm still learning the rules. I've messed that up a few times. You have to get the right number and the right cardboard and plastic or whatever, but... I don't care because it's changed my life because my three kids are garbage producing machines. I don't know how they do it, but they just they produce. It just take my word for it. All right. They just diapers don't stop coming just because you run out of trash space. I don't know if you know that, but that's just they don't. stop. And so it's just an amazing thing. I don't care what you say. I changed my life. All right, everybody that just changed because you can put all the plastic and stuff that's taking up room in the shiny new trash can. And then you have no no more climbing around the night before trash day, putting my trash in all the bins down the street. Right. I'm just I got freed somebody. I just it's an amazing thing. I don't care what you say. It's just it's something that's changed. It's amazing. But like like I married a list. I grew up in a home where we didn't often change the position of the furniture or the things on the wall. 
Like we got new furniture, but we didn't change the actual positions. And I don't know if you like it's there. That's where it is. I don't know why you would change why you would put like I came out in my senior year of high school and there's still me in first grade playing basketball on the wall. And I'm just like, oh, man, you got this. Right. I'm just looking. I remember it's a big deal when we moved the TV from one corner of the living room to the other corner, not the couch. You just turn your head. Right. You just turn. But that was a big deal. My wife changes everything like every week. Like, she just likes to move stuff just to move it. Like, she's out of town, but if I got home today, if she was in town, something else would be moved. Like, like some room would be different. You walk in, I don't know whose house this is. I don't know where this stuff... She just loves to rearrange and move and pull out and clean and do all this stuff in the house. Like, we're in the middle of a, uh, of a bedroom-type moving thing right now. We're just changing stuff up again. You can ask any of my kids, like, like, Daddy, why do we have to move the bed or the chair or, God help us, the piano again, right? Why do we have to... Why does that have to... I just, son... Because that's been in that place for more than two weeks now. And that's the expiration for furniture in our home. That's just, it cannot stay there for more than, more than two weeks. And he'll point at my, my chair like, well, that's been there more than two weeks. <laughs> right it is. And I will fight to the death for that one. That's, that's mine, all right? That's my, my word. But can I tell you, though, that now I get restless when we don't move things around, when stuff isn't rearranged with things. I've learned to love it. Like, I, I'm in the mood, like, we just make that a bedroom, sure. Make the living room a, whatever we got to do. I, I get in that mood because I've started to love the things that she loved because I love Alyssa. And so I love the things that she loves. Same thing is true in our Christian lives. That as we begin to love God, we love people that God loves. And God loves broken people. God begins, he gave his life for people who were marginalized and people who were broken and people who needed a shepherd and people that he saw that were helpless. And so if we truly love God, First John said, if we truly love God, we're going to love people. We're going to love the people that God loves. We love on the people. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible pillar of Christianity that if you begin to love with the love of Christ, you begin to love the people that nobody wants, that God will change them into the people that everybody wants. That God will begin to change their lives and God will begin to use them and they'll go on that spiritual journey. We begin to write people off and say, well, I know it happened in my life, but I don't think it ever happened in theirs. They're too far gone. Or I know that I saw this change happen or that thing, but that person, you just don't know them. You don't know their attitude. You don't know where they are. You don't know what they're doing. You don't. And we begin to write them off instead of loving them with the love that we're supposed to love them with, with the love of Christ. Let that be us. Let us be a church that people show up on our doorstep that culture has marginalized, that other churches maybe have turned down and said they're too addicted or they're too broken or they're too far for God to love them. Let us be the church that loves them. Let us be God's hands and feet. This whole month is about reaching out. We call the series Beyond These Walls because there are people beyond these walls who need the love of Christ. They're not always just inside where we can just go and it makes it easy for us. There are people that we need to reach and we give them hope because we love Jesus. And so we love people. We love people. And the miracle is we see them take this amazing journey in Christ. We see God begin to just develop and begin to just completely change their lives. That's the miracle of what the good news is. That's what the gospel is. That God cares about the people that institutionalized religion has walked away from. God cares about the people that culture has walked away from. Jesus models this in this story, this Samaritan woman, that no religious leader would ever talk to her. That nobody would ever give her the time of day. No Jew would ever find himself sitting at the well. Jesus models this. He doesn't care. And this is something that people had a trouble with Jesus about, by the way. They would say things like, man, if he only knew who that person was, he wouldn't be eating with them. If he only knew who that woman was, he wouldn't be caught near her. If he only knew who owned that house, he wouldn't be inside today. He wouldn't be there. He wouldn't be this. And Jesus said, I don't care what people say. I don't care how people treat those people. I don't care how they marginalize them. I don't care what my reputation looks like. 
He says, I'm going to love them with the love of Christ. And so then he talks in verse 10. As we get back to the story, as we value people, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then in verse 13, he says, given, she says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And so he's talking to her. He's saying everything will satisfy temporarily, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want to stay in this verse just for a moment. Because he says everything, what you're doing here is temporary. What you're about to drink from this well is temporary. It's a temporal thing. But if you ask for me, there's water that I can give you. And so number two, if you're taking notes today, jot this down. If we're going to make a difference in people's lives, we're going to have to see the real need. If we're going to make a difference in people's lives, we're going to have to look past whatever it is that we think, whatever we perceive in the natural, we're going to have to see the real need. So he looks at this woman and he understands that the real need isn't water. The real need isn't water. She's got something deeper going on in her life. And can I tell you that everyone is. Everybody has something deeper that's going on in their lives. If we're really honest with each other, everybody has something that's underneath the surface that they're struggling with or that they're dealing with or that they're working through that they need God to help them with. Everybody's walking through that. We have to begin to see it. We've got to begin to see it. We value people and then we see the real need. Because we're going to go out in our community on serve day and we're going to paint walls. We're going to clean rooms and pick up trash and we're going to help build things and visit with people. We're going to do all of these things. We're going to make a difference, an impact in a physical need. But the reality is next year, there's going to be more walls to paint. There's going to be more rooms to clean. There's going to be more trash to pick up. There's all going to be all of these things. There'll be physical needs for us to meet again because, yes, there's a need, but it's not the real need. It's not the need that's actually that Jesus is talking about in this story. And so we're going to meet these physical needs, but we're going to do it for a purpose because we have to begin to see the real need. We have to begin to see. And the reason why people get into these conditions is because they're trying to meet a spiritual need with a physical solution. The reason that they're in these things, they're trying to meet a physical need or a spiritual need with a physical solution. They're trying to bring in all these things that don't satisfy. And so Jesus is speaking to this woman. He's saying, I see a need, but it's not the real need. And we're going to get into how she was pacifying this need in just a moment in her life. But Jesus is saying, I see that there is a need. You're getting water from the well, but it's not the true need. And yet in our culture, we'll naturally turn to physical things to satisfy spiritual needs. And so we begin to we begin to look at people who have addictions and we don't realize that they have that because they're trying to mask pain. We don't realize that they're trying to mask something else, another need in their life. So people will turn to food. People will turn to alcohol. People will turn to drugs because they're trying to meet the need. They're trying to meet the need that they have inside of them. But the problem with that is, yes, it will satisfy for a time, but it's only temporary. And so then you have to go back. You have to get more drugs. You keep having to get more and more to get the same high. And you keep keep having to continually pile up, pile up because it's only temporary. And so if we see that in people's lives, we recognize that they're trying to meet a spiritual need with all of these physical things. We realize it's truly not going to meet it. It's not going to satisfy. We're trying to pacify, but it's never going to do it. And so Jesus says, okay, I see this. I see you have a need, but it's not the real need. And all of us pacify in different ways. We don't judge each other just because somebody else is struggling different than you struggle. We don't judge someone just because they're, right, I have issues, but they are sinful. I have, I have issues that I'm working through, but they, they just are the one. Some of us, we meet in all different needs. Some of us, we're on Instagram, right? And we just, we need to get as many likes as we can. Or we gotta post, and we get all excited for the comments and the likes. But what happens? It doesn't last. 
We got to post again. We got to get more. We got to get more. And it doesn't matter how many followers, how many likes, how many comments you get, how many thumbs up, whatever it is. It doesn't matter how many of those you get. It will never satisfy because it's a physical thing trying to satisfy a spiritual need, a spiritual need for affirmation. And Jesus said, you know what? I see a need, but it's not the real need. I see a need, but it's not the real need. I want you to know that you can drink from this well, he tells her, and you're going to thirst again. Once you know that you can keep doing that thing that you're stuck in, you keep doing it, but you're going to thirst again. And this is a good reminder, even as Christians, that there are things that are temporal. There are things that are passing away that we've tried to hold on to with every muscle and fiber of our body. We try to grab onto those things and they're passing away and we forget that they're temporary. We forget that they're temporary. Yes, we have to drink and yes, we have to eat. But if we begin turning to those things and eating and drinking and finding these things and trying to pacify a spiritual need, it will never satisfy So Jesus says, I'm going to give you something that's deeper. Let's go back to that verse where he says, and I'm going to give you, if you ask me, oh, sorry, the one before that slide in verse 14, he says, if you ask me, you'll be, if you ask, if you drink here, you'll be thirsty again. But if you ask of the water, I give them, they'll never thirst. And see, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to authentic and eternal life. This is what life is. He says, water will sustain you, but true life is the water that I'll give you. Jesus is saying, if you have this, once you get in a relationship with Christ, If you can see beyond the physical need, then you start to fill those spiritual needs. You start to fill it with affirmation. The thing that you're looking for, what this woman was looking for, the thing that people are looking for. He says, you'll be living out of a real authentic, you find significance in life. And not only does it meet that need that you have, that spiritual need that you have, but watch what he tells you. He says, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water. So the water that I give will become in them. So not only does it meet your spiritual need, not only does it meet the need that you have in your life, but then you become a well. You become a spring of water that reaches out to everybody that's around you. So not only is he meeting that spiritual need that we have, but then he says, and then when you go out, this is how we fulfill the great commission in our lives. That we learn from this, that not only do we have it, once we're in that relationship, once the Holy Spirit has done his work in us, then we become, we bring life and we bring water and we bring this well that Christ has given us into everyone else's life. We become givers of the life that we've received. Not just this where we can just hang on. And that's why we've called this series Beyond These Walls. You're not here just to get filled so you can go home and be filled. You're not here just to be in fellowship just so you can be happy that you had all this great time together. No, we're here to go and tell everyone the good news of Christ. We're here to be filled so that we can fill others. And I love the response to the woman in verse 15. She says, well, then please give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Do you know everybody is thirsty for the real truth, the real answer? Everybody is already thirsty for the real answer. They're thirsty for the thing that will meet the need. Nobody wants to be addicted. Nobody wants to be stuck in a pattern of an unhealthy lifestyle. Nobody wants to be having a slave to this thing they have to go back to again and again. Nobody wants to be in a broken relationship. Nobody wants to have that pattern that they have to continue to go back. We have to remember the people that we serve, the people that we're reaching out to help, the people that God has put around us like this Samaritan woman, the people that we come in contact to, they don't want to be broken. They they want the answer to the real need. They don't want to live in that lifestyle anymore. They don't want to stay in the pain or the addiction that they're in. They don't love that condition. And I think sometimes we have to have that shift where we begin to realize that they're not, it's not their fault that they're in that thing. And we think, well, we're just going to point the finger and walk away. We're just going to point the finger and walk away. Yes, they have some responsibility, but they don't love that condition that they're in. And so if we're going to love them like Jesus loves them, we're going to begin to love them and see them and give value to people. We're going to have to reach out. 
In this pattern of behavior, Jesus doesn't judge this woman. He just brings light onto this pattern of behavior. He just brings light and he shines a light onto something that she already knew was unhealthy in her life. She already knew that she was broken. She already knew that it was wrong. So he says to her in verse 16, go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Come on, somebody. Jesus talking to her and what you just said is quite true. How many know she felt a little exposed at that moment? She probably felt a little bit, a little bit exposed in the in fact. The next thing she says is, I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive that you, you know, many, many things. And, but Jesus begins to speak with her. And she says, right, you ain't got no husband. The reality is you've been moving through five different men now. And now the man that you're with is not even your husband. And you're just moving through this pattern in your life. And you've been trying to fill this, this need for significance or this need for relationship with unhealthy relationships. You've been just rolling through all these different ones. And Jesus is pointing out, and this is not what God has for your life. Now, I want you to see this because he's telling her you're continuing this cycle and it's not working. You have these problems and they're not the solution. But the reality is the Bible speaks to us about how we should handle these situations. And I read it to you two weeks ago. It's in Ephesians. And 415 says, we'll speak the truth in love. That's actually point number three. If we're going to change people, have an eternal impact, we have to begin to speak the truth in love. And we talked about this two weeks ago. I want to just say it one more time because I want you to see here. Jesus wasn't just having this casual conversation of like, yeah, it's cool. Give me some water. I'm really happy. You know, I'm just going to be on my way. No, he saw a moment where there was a real need that he could speak to. And he began to speak to it. But always in love. So he's like, tell me about your life. And when she begins to open up, he begins to shine a light on the part of her life that's unhealthy. The part of the pattern of her life. In order to make that difference, he's going to have to meddle a little bit. Come on, he's going to have to meddle just a little bit in her life because he's going to point a light on this thing that's unhealthy. He said, hey, look, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with is not really your husband. And you've had all these relationships and tried to do all these things, but it's not working. And I'm going to tell you exactly where the unhealthy part of your life is. Now, see, there are two different thoughts in the church, two different thoughts in the church, and both of them are unhealthy. And so if you remember this, if you took notes two weeks ago, you remember this point. I want to make it one more time. And that is a truth without love is brutality. It's the first thought that's working its way into the church. It's been here for a couple of thousand years that we've decided that we're going to have truth, but no love attached. And then love without truth, though, is hypocrisy. It's the other side of the coin. And these are two different things. One of them is that I'm going to be harsh with you and I'm going to judge you and I'm going to point my finger. And that would have stopped right when Jesus said, you've had five husbands and the other one's not your husband. And so I'm, I don't know why I'm even talking to you because you're a terrible person. This is awful. That's sin. You're a sinner. And I'm going to get up from this well and leave and leave you in your brokenness. I'm going to blow up your life with this condemnation and this idea that what you're doing is wrong. But I'm never going to take another step with you on your spiritual journey. I'm not going to show you any other thing that you can do to get out of that lifestyle. I'm just telling you, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. And I'm going to leave this well and we're never going to talk again because I had no idea you were. That's the first mentality. But God is calling us to be different. And that's honestly that first one is what unbelievers expect of Christians. They expect them to condemn and they expect them to point the finger and they expect them to be harsh and judgmental towards the crisis or the condition that they find themselves in. They can't believe that there would be a God who wouldn't judge them. And so they expect that response from the church, a truth that just blows people's lives up and doesn't understand the ramifications of what we're saying. We just feel good saying it. It begins to blow people's lives apart. But the truth of the matter is we're not trying to hurt people. We're trying to lead them to Jesus. We want to get them out of that addiction. We want to get them out of that condition. We want to get them out of wherever it is that they found themselves and then point them to Jesus. 
And so if we see it with that mindset, we begin to see our lives and we will speak truth with love. Because we're not running around trying to tell everybody everything that they're doing wrong. Trying to judge everybody for everything, every condition that they're in. If we see it with the mentality of we're trying to get them out of that place. We're trying to get them. And then the other side, the other movement in churches is this, this love without truth. Where it's just, well, I love you and we love you. And it doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. And we don't care what you do. And you just love. God is love and love wins, right? Just love. You just do whatever it is. I, I don't really care about all those things. And I just love. I love. Like, but if I never tell you that you're drinking poison, I don't really love you. It's hypocrisy to say that I love you without actually telling you the truth. Because the truth, the Bible says, is what will set you free. The truth is what will set them free from the condition that they're in. And so there always has to be truth. Love without truth is just hypocrisy. I'm not loving you if I don't tell you, hey, there are some decisions in your life that are fueling the pain that you're in. And if you don't stop this pattern, you'll continue in that pain throughout the rest of your life. You continue in that pattern. I'm not judging you. I'm helping you see the truth that will set you free. The truth that will set you free. We have to tell people the truth and we have to do it in love. And so it's this messy thing. Evangelism is a messy, messy thing that we have to begin to step into people's lives And it's not this clear-cut thing where we just automatically, if you just do this, this, and this, and you have this pattern or whatever it is, where you're just going to see people respond exactly this way. And everybody's going to be perfect. Like, we don't just go and feed meals to the homeless, and then, like, the next day, they're just, they're not homeless anymore. And they're just in church every Sunday, and they just become tithers automatically. It's just, that's not what happens in people's lives. People have to go on a journey. People have to experience Christ for themselves. They have to work out their, it's a messy thing. But we're called to love broken people. We're called to step into the mess. We're called to reach down and say, okay, I'm, mis- I'm not going to say, okay, you have to do this, 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 and this, and then I'm out. If you don't do that, if you don't respond this way, if you don't have this or whatever it is, well, then I'm just, I'm, I want nothing to do with you. We begin to love people where they are. We begin to reach out to truth and love. And so Jesus says, I don't care what religion says. I don't care what my reputation looks like. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love people. And so this instant Jesus, and at every single time that he has this, though, He would always say, okay, this is what you need to do. This is how you can come out of this. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to now leave your life of sin. He always ends it with that, but he always begins with loving people. And then he says, now leave your life of sin. Leave that pattern that's not working. God has something better for you. God has something better for your life. I know that that's the thing that you're doing. It's what's hurting you. And so leave that life and God has something more for you. It's a relationship with him. It says you don't have to sell yourself to every loser that comes along. He's talking to this woman. You don't have to be in this lifestyle of relationship. If you find a true relationship with God, you don't seek it in all these physical solutions for a spiritual need. And he always addresses people's issues. Verse 25 in this story. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So a response to Jesus pointing to the truth and to the hope is the response that a lot of people have. When people hear that from religious people, they hear that, okay, there is hope. Or there is truth. When unchurched people hear that, they automatically respond with, okay, then what's the religious answer? Just tell me what I need to do. Tell me the steps that I need to take. Give me the rules. Give me the regulations. Because when they hear that, they think that a relationship with God is behavior modification. And it's not. It's not behavior modification. Jesus says, no, no, that's not what I'm trying to get into your head. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Because in the verses before that, she had said, and Lord, you know, they, they say that we should go worship in Jerusalem. But our our leaders, the Samaritans, they said that we can worship here in this temple and that temple. And which one's the right one? And where should I be going? And tell me the truth of that. Give me give me the steps. Give me the pattern. Give me the behavior modification I can make. And Jesus said, no, I'm not trying to stick you in a pattern. I'm not trying to give you rules and regulations and laws. He says, I am the one. It's me. I'm the one that's speaking to you. I'm the one that can set you free. 
And I think in our lives as Christians, we have to get that mind shift again where we begin to say, okay, I see people and I know that they're hurting and I know God wants to rescue them. But not by us giving them a set of rules and regulations and saying, if you do this, 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 and this, you'll go to heaven. You've got to point people to Jesus. Church, it's not our job to begin to give them the rules and the regulations and begin to give the thing that we wrote out in this piece of paper that says, well, if you just do all these things. No, it's our job as Christians to point them to Jesus. Because it's not about how many times you attend church. It's not about how much you give or how much you serve. We're not trying to sell people on church membership. We're trying to get people into heaven. We're trying to get people into heaven. And so if we see that as our goal, the Great Commission as our calling as a church, we'll begin to love people differently. We begin to point them to Jesus. Jesus pointed them to himself. He said, I am the Savior. I am the Savior of the universe. Jesus begins a pointer. He says, a relationship with me. Because God knows if he can get their hearts, he'll get all the rest of it. If there can be a true heart change, all the rest of it will follow. It's the heart that he's after. So we begin to love people. Remember as Christians that evangelism is messy. It's a thing that we have to get into. We have to invest in people's lives. And we have to understand that all of us play a different role in that thing. The Bible says that one plants, one waters, but it's God that brings the growth. It's God that brings the growth. And so wherever we are on that person's journey, we're fulfilling that moment. Jesus met her far on her journey. The moments that we come around people, God is sending them to us for that moment in their journey. Not that we could say, well, I have these three things that I need you to check the boxes in before I ever minister to you. No, we're called to that moment where they are at that point. And we're called to make a difference in their lives. Because one already planted, but maybe we're called to water. Or maybe no one has ever told them that God loves us, so we're called to plant. But it's God that's causing the growth all along. So all we can do as Christians, we point them to Jesus. We continue to realize and to recognize those moments to value people, to see the real need and to point them to Jesus. To point them to Jesus. We have to understand that we have these limited moments at Starbucks or at Chick-fil-A or wherever it is that we are. We have these limited moments around people. That maybe God just gave you 10 minutes with that person. It's what we do with those is what we're called to as Christians. It's what we have to begin to understand. So disciples back in verse 21, they finally show back up, right? You forgot about them. They're, they've been in the line. They've been wrapped around, but they finally got the food. So the disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Why? Because this is not something that would have happened in their culture. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And so the next verse, and then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and now look, they made their way toward him. So now this whole city is coming for revival. Jesus had this one moment that he decided, I'm going to make an eternal impact in this woman's life. The whole city is coming for revival. Revival is about to hit the town. Meanwhile, though. His disciples are getting ready for revival, right? They're just getting ready. They're, they see this. They, they've forgotten all about that. No, watch, watch what the disciples do. This is us, by the way, in the story. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. We brought all this food, Rabbi. We waited for so long. Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could somebody have brought him Taco Bell while we were at Chick-fil-A? Could somebody, like, did somebody bring him something? Like, like where, where did the, the food come from? Like, what's, what's happening? Like, did he get food? Did he? Because look at what happened. This happens to us all the time as Christians, by the way. We get so intensely focused on the ministry. We get so intensely focused on the working that we forget to recognize the impact of what's actually happening. We get so laser focused that we forget the impact of what it is that we're actually accomplishing. What is that we're actually doing? So number five, as we close, if we're going to make an impact as we serve people, we have to stay focused on the eternal. We have to stay focused on what we're actually doing because we get too wrapped up sometime in programs or ministries or systems or whatever it is that we're doing. And we forget about what it is we're actually trying to accomplish. 
the eternal. Because I feel like the disciples represent the average Christian. They represent myself in this story. Because this whole city is getting ready for revival. The whole city is coming for revival. They're all coming out to meet Jesus. And they're just like, can we get pizza? Like, is he eating? Are we eating? Do we get to eat the pizza, right? Are we going to Are we gonna be first in line? Like, when is lunch? Like, we already ate the second. When is dinner? When is, and they're having these conversations. And I think sometimes that happens to us. It's too easy when we come to church. And we get kind of wrapped up in the different ministries or the things that we like. Or we get to the end and we think, well, they're playing the piano now. You get the car. I'll get the kids, right? We got to get out of here. We got to come on. We'll just we'll be the first to Juban Crossing. We'll just beat the crowd. Come on, somebody. We're just going to be first in line. And we forget about what it is that we're actually doing. And the disciples got that way. They got this way. They were so focused on the Chick-fil-A and what Jesus was going to eat for lunch. They were so focused on that. They forgot and they lost sight of a whole community that were coming out. A whole community about to show up for revival. This entire city is about to be saved. And Jesus created this massive wave of revival. He's got this whole thing from this moment, this one moment that he just took advantage of, where he could have just sat at the well and just waited for the food. It's all snowballed into this massive thing of revival. And he tells them that the food that you brought, that's not what fuels me. The food that you brought, that's not what fuels me. And we'll go back to that verse right after this one. And he says, he says, they came out of town, they made their way, they wanted him to eat. Can someone have brought him food? And then the verse after that next slide, it talks about, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Amen. My food is to do the will of him. That whole city that's coming, that whole city that's coming to us, that's my, that's my fuel. He said, that's the reason that I do what I do. That's the reason that I've been called is to do the work of him who sent me. And then we'll go back to that slide now because the problem is we get too focused on what we do and we forget why we do it. We get too focused on what it is that we're doing. We forget why we do it. We take our eyes off of the eternal. It's so easy for us to go out and to serve our community and to pack lunches and to serve the homeless and to paint a wall or to clean a house or to do whatever it is that we do. And we forget to have a God conversation. Because that's the last part of this. That's the, the tail end of this thing. Because if we take advantage of those moments and we see the need and we speak into people's lives with truth and love, we have to have the God conversation. We have to begin to realize. Because we forget about making the impact in the individual's lives of the home that we're helping in. We forget about the eternal impact that we're having. Because it's great that we're out there serving. It's something I want us to be known for as a church. Because they can be mad at you for a lot of things for being a Christian. People can say, well... You know that church, they're just a bunch of this and that. And they just rah, rah, rah. But nobody ever said, hey, you know that church, man? They just feed the homeless and they just, they just help people in their houses. And man, I just hate that church, just doing all those nice things. Just... Nobody ever says that. There's a, there's a biblical, spiritual component. And, and God is saying, you know, let your light shine before men. Let them see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There is that component to it. But we can never forget that our eyes are on eternity. The impact we have in people's lives is on eternity. Yes, we're doing all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's about people. It's about ministering to people, trying to make a difference. And in verse 34, Jesus speaks to them and he says again, my food is to do the will of the him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. And this is my message again for our church. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe to the harvest. Open our eyes. If there's one thing that we take away from in this month of September is we begin to reach out, we begin to serve, we begin to go on mission trips, we begin to do all of these things is that we open our eyes and we see the harvest that's around us. I told you this already, outside of these walls, there are so many who are lost and dying and heading to a Christless eternity. It's our mission as a church. It's our mission to reach out to them, to see the needs. Let's open our eyes to the people around us. Because everywhere that we go, there are people around us who are hurting. 
Every single place that we go, there are people around us who are dying. There are people around us who are in conditions and addicted and they're, they're lost and they're chained. And there are people around us that God is calling us to. We've got to open our eyes to see it. We've got to see it in our lives. And they've got to have somebody before we get to the end of serve day. You've got to have somebody that you take aside and say, okay, tell me about your life. Okay, talk, talk to me about what you're going through. Okay, open up and you'll be amazed at the opportunities God has brought you, the people around you as they begin to share. People around you begin to just open their hearts to you and you begin to see the real need. Begin to see the real need in their lives. Because that's what God has called us to. There's a chance for us to really minister. There's an open door made through this opportunity of our service. There's a chance for us to minister to people, to point people to Jesus. And as Christians, I want to end with this thought. As Christians, we live with the confidence that sin doesn't work that people are hurting, and that Jesus is the answer. That's what we're living with the confidence on this survey is we begin to reach out, begin to talk to people, begin to have that God moment, keep our eyes on the eternal. We're going to impact people for the kingdom of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I just want to pray that God would use our church, not throughout just this month, but throughout our lives, through every moment that we have, every opportunity. God, I pray as we serve in these projects, Lord, I pray as everybody signs up for this serve day for different places that they can be, Lord, that you would open our eyes. God, that you would open our eyes to the hurting and to the need and to those around us, Lord, that we would use these moments strategically for you. God, that we would see them not just, Lord, as a number and not just as a project, God, but as a person for whom Christ died. Use us, Lord, to reach hurting people. Use us, Lord to see the need, to value people, to speak the truth in love, God. I pray, God, use us in our communities. Use us in our places, Lord. Use us everywhere that we go. And let us be aware. God, to see everybody as an eternal life that Christ died for. And first, I just want to pray for those of you who find yourself this morning, you're here or you're listening online or wherever you are and you find yourself far from God. And I don't know if it was a decision that you made or something you walked away from or you felt the church wasn't listening or someone hurt you or whatever it was, but you've blamed God for it and you pushed him away. And no one else is looking around, but I just want to pray with you. If you say, today's the day, I want to come back home. And so if that's you today, I want you to know I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I just want to pray with you. Let today be the day that you make a decision to come back to God. And I don't know where you are. I don't know your story. I don't know what hurtful thing happened or whatever it was that pushed you away. But I'm telling you that God is waiting for you. With open arms. And so if you say today, that's me. I want to pray that prayer. I want to come back. I want to be back in the family. I want to come home. If that's you today. No one else is looking around, but would you do me the favor? Would you say, Ben, that's me. I'm tired of running. And would you just slip up your hand right now? All across this place, if that's you. Say, that's me today. I want to pray that prayer. Include me in that prayer. So anyone else, just be bold. Thank you. Is anybody else who wants to join? Thank you in the back.
We're going to pray. And church, we're going to pray this prayer with those two who made that decision. And I can give you the words to the prayer, but you've got to pray them and mean them with your heart. So come on, church, let's say these words with them. Just say, dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sins, of all my mistakes. Make me brand new. Say these words to heaven. I give you my life. Change me. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this army of believers. God, I thank you as that we get out this month and we begin to serve in our community and in our city. And in those around us, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the harvest. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see the needs, Lord, as we make a tangible difference in the lives around us, Lord. I pray for divine appointments, God, that you would bring people into our lives that we begin to speak eternity into. That we begin to always point towards Jesus. Lord, that we would make a difference in their lives for the eternal. God, that we would always see people, Lord, as eternal souls for whom Christ died. Change our look, our outlook, God. Let us make a difference. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's children said amen and amen.